Hey everybody, Nathan Baird flying solo this week on the Boilers Extra podcast. Mike Carmen will join us again in the future when we have more Purdue football to talk about, but this week I'm just going to exclusively talk about Purdue men's basketball. I've got Zach Osterman from the Indianapolis Star joining later in the podcast as our guest to preview Saturday's home game against the Hoosiers. Obviously a big one, uh, Indiana on a three-game losing streak and Purdue starting to potentially build a little momentum, but uh, that may depend on how Saturday's game goes as to, to um, what sort of momentum they can take into this sort of middle part of the Big Ten season. Um, kind of quickly recapping where Purdue's been since we talked to you last. You know, last Tuesday they went up to Michigan State, and that was a game that was competitive for a pretty good portion of it. And I think I even talked about that on the podcast as being an important step, I thought, for Purdue, even if they could just go up there and give themselves a chance into the second half of that game. That could be sort of considered, in worst-case scenario, that could maybe sort of be considered a positive step after the way things had gone at Michigan the last time they went on the road in Big Ten play, even the way that that Notre Dame game had gone. And it ends up being a you know a 17-point deficit, and, and this was not in, in the balance in the final minutes. So kind of a, a a mixed result at best, and really not a, a positive one at the end of the day for Purdue, which was at that point getting really, really hungry, obviously, to get that first road win and probably a little bit annoyed of just having that be sort of this thing that was hanging around them. And then Friday night, they went up to Wisconsin, and it was another battle, and one that looked like it could slip away. But it was a, a situation where for the first time in that scenario, Purdue made the winning plays down the stretch on the road. They, they forced the turnovers. They hit the shots. And they're the ones who, who pulled out a win and finally broke that, that losing streak. And then, um, you know, last night coming home and getting a, a pretty lopsided win over Rutgers, which is, you know, at Mackey Arena this year, Purdue has by and large taken care of business all along the way. I, I spoke about that ex- specifically on my little over and back segment, uh, the postgame videos that we do after the games and f- from last night's game and just saying that I had said earlier this year that this team – Remind me a little bit of that 2014-15 team where you had a lot of young guys coming in and a team that was still looking for leadership, looking for its elite players to take things up to another level. The one difference being that this team has now not had any of these slip-ups at home. They have not only won all these games at home, but with the exception of the Maryland game, um, they've all been pretty much not in doubt. And that was obviously, you know, that's a team that's 6-1 in the Big Ten right now and stands up as a pretty good win for Purdue, regardless of whether or not it was at home. And that, that's what is, is setting this team apart. And it's really kind of saved this team. Because just imagine if if on top of some of the chances that slipped away on the road, if they also had some kind of bad home loss on their, their resume right now, um, you know, people might be looking at them in a little bit different light. But it's one of those things that's helped them kind of keep that, um, the little lofty rankings that they have as far as the computer rankings and is keeping them in people's, the forefront of people's minds as they're putting together NCAA tournament brackets, that sort of thing. So, um Sort of the backdrop of this whole three-game stretch has also been the emergence of Trevion Williams. You know, he had the, a, a nice showing against Notre Dame in in interesting circumstances, just a game where Purdue was looking for any kind of answer, any kind of spark, and he stepped up and provided it, and that opened some eyes, and it didn't necessarily lead to a bigger role right away for him, but starting with the way he played against Michigan State when Evan Boudreaux was out with his groin injury and couldn't play the second half, and following that up with with a nice performance, I thought, at Wisconsin. And then uh, just dominant at times against Rutgers and finished with 16 points, 13 boards. So he's averaging 12.6 and 12 over the last three games. That's two double-doubles in that stretch. And all of a sudden, the team that where you looked at Purdue going into the season and thought that 
they were going to have to come up with some way to make up for the fact that they don't have a true post presence because it just remained to be seen whether or not Williams would get there this year in terms of his conditioning, in terms of his skill, in terms of just having the um, awareness or whatever you want to call it that a, a, a frontline Big Ten player would have to have. Um, he's obviously answered those. I mean, he's 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 played the minutes. He's executing and producing when he's in there. And on top of all that, he's he's looked very aware out there in the way he plays defensively, the way he's been able to pass the ball. Still some growing pains. He's a freshman, and he's even maybe a little bit behind some of the other freshmen on his team just because he wasn't getting those high-leverage minutes early in the season. But uh, there's something here, and it's something that looks like it's making Purdue better, not just right now, but potentially for the rest of this season, that it just adds another element that teams have to prepare for that they didn't have to prepare for before. Michigan State had players who were basically saying that after that game. He had not been someone that they were uh, – <laughs> I don't know if you want to say they weren't aware of him, but they weren't really concerned about him. He was sort of an afterthought on the scouting report, and that, that's not going to be the case moving forward. So we'll see how he deals with that and the extra attention he gets. And now Purdue comes up on another stretch where – um, it's the home games are are pivotal. It, we've been talking so much about the road games, but Saturday they're home against IU. Then they have to they go at Ohio State, which is a team that has been ranked uh, in the top fifteen at, at some point this season, and is now kind of like IU has just had some stumbles recently, and is sort of out probably to prove that it it um, it deserves the 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 attention it was getting early on, and then back home for a Sunday game against Michigan State. And this seems like a big stretch for Purdue because now they've done the work to get themselves back in position to challenge for being in that top third of the the top fourth of the Big Ten race, being those top three or four spots. Right now they're in fourth place at, with a four and two record. And these are the kind of games that are the against the other teams that are either above you or in that same mix. And this is how you separate is by finding a way to win games like this. And uh I'm interested to see if, if some of the things we've been seeing from Carson Edwards will continue to, to carry forward. I thought he had maybe his best game as far as his most complete game in some ways um, last night against Rutgers. It wasn't a 40-point outburst like it was against um, at Texas, and it wasn't a um, it wasn't against the caliber of opponent that some of his other games, you know, Virginia Tech or, or whatever, um, or even a Davidson, but I would say that just because of everything he did top to bottom, I mean, he, he blocked a couple shots. He had three steals. He was getting rebounds. He had six assists and only turned the ball over one time. So the fact he only scored 19 points is almost secondary because if he was still producing the same amount of offense, just taking fewer shots, um, getting more assists, getting more people involved. And I think that helps Purdue in the long run. And if he can make a transition to that, even if it costs him a couple of points, um, in terms of his scoring average, but he starts boosting that assists average. Uh, again, the, the points remain the same as far as what he's producing, but what it does for this whole offense is uh, intriguing potentially. But but that remains to be seen. I thought he he did some of that last year. At this time last year, I don't think we were talking about him as a first-team All-Big Ten guy, or at least a lock. Um, we weren't talking about him as the Jerry West award winner. We weren't talking about him really as an All-American. He was still a guy who seemed to be on the way up to that potentially, but but it was a ways away. And then the way he closed last season, I thought opened some eyes and, and forced him into those kinds of accolades. And it, perhaps he could make that, that same step again this year. It's just going to be a little bit tougher just because he's already reached a high level. And now uh, as we do uh, either fairly or unfairly with athletes, you ask him to take that next step. 
no matter how how good they get, you keep asking for more, especially at this age, at this level. And his next step is to be more of a facilitator, more of a playmaker for the, the rest of the guys on this team. And uh, if he can do that, I think it gives Purdue uh, a chance to make some noise in the Big Ten race. I don't know if anybody can catch Michigan State and Michigan. They seem like the class of this conference right now and, and Maryland just behind them. And um, that's going to be an interesting end of the season because Michigan and Michigan State play each other twice in the last four games. So I guess keep an eye on that. Keep your uh, keep your TV guides handy for that. But uh, it, 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 it helps Purdue as far as potentially being able to go into a, a venue like Ohio State next week. Some of the other road games they have, you know, Nebraska, they still have to go to Maryland. Um, if, if Carson Edwards is playing at a higher level, obviously it means the ripple effects for this program are – uh, pretty significant and uh, that it helps it gives them a chance to win those games and otherwise they might not um, so now looking ahead um, like I said uh, like I like I warned you um, we have a, a dispatch from Bloomington coming up with Zach Osterman and he's going to tell us a little bit more about just where the Hoosiers stand right now and we, we talk a little bit about just some of the the specific player matchups that we're going to be looking at on Saturday and, and what might determine the first of two meetings and now there are always going to be two meetings uh, between these two longtime rivals. I am joined today by my colleague from the USA Today Network. He is Zach Osterman, who covers all things Indiana sports, Indiana Hoosier sports for the Indianapolis Stars. Zach, how is it going today? Oh, it's going good. It's going good. It's, that sounds a lot more official than I ever feel. <laughs> you know, at that time of year, it's uh, the roads are crappy and there's snow all over the place, and that probably means... Purdue and Indiana are about to play some basketball. Um, you know, I know Purdue fans probably keep an eye on Indiana from afar, trying to keep up with, with how that season is going, uh, either good or bad. And it started off really good, and recently it's kind of trended the other way. Can you kind of just give us an update on where the Hoosiers stand going into Saturday's game up here at Mackey Arena? Yeah, I mean, you're right. It, it, it was a very positive non-conference season. Um, Indiana... Came out of the non-conference nine and two, eleven and two overall. If you include the um, the the two wins to start Big Ten play in December, and you know, just more generally, seemed like Indiana was a team that was maybe understanding how to accentuate a lot of its strengths, especially defensively, grind out close games, which I think is usually a sign of you know you 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 think of uh, a team that's more mature than its years and those sorts of things. Um, but they have lost three in a row here now in Big Ten play. They're back to 500 in the league. And, you know, there's at least some unrest, I think, around not necessarily like Archie Miller's jobs on the line or anything like that, but just some some concern. Is this team regressing? Is it capable of fixing some of its problems? You know, um, they, they only allowed an opponent to score – better than a point per possession three times in their first 14 games. They've allowed an opponent to do that three times in their last three games. Now they've played three, three uh, pretty good teams, Michigan on the road, Maryland on the road, Nebraska at home, but it's still, it's concerning. And when you couple all of that with um, obviously the, the injuries, the youth issues and an increasing sort of, I guess at this point you'd probably say a little bit of an over-reliance on Romeo Langford and Juwan Morgan. You, you get a team that's, look, it's, it's not in meltdown mode. It's not in crisis mode. Um, but it is a team where you're right to be concerned that 
the season is suddenly kind of changing directions here after, as you said, a, a really promising, not necessarily exhilarating, but certainly promising November and December. It was in some ways it was the opposite of Purdue because Purdue had, I, I would say, played a tougher non-conference schedule in some ways, at least in terms of how many they were playing on the road on neutral courts against really strong teams and kept coming up short. And so I think there was some pessimism kind of built in there and Indiana kind of had the opposite. Not that they didn't have also some good wins in there, but was sort of building some optimism. That really in this stretch, the only one that, that you know, okay, so they lost at Michigan by 11. I saw Purdue get stomped up there. Ann Arbor's a tough place to play ever, but especially this year, that team is really good. They lose at Maryland by three points in a game that they were, I think, leading at halftime, or I know that they got off to a pretty good start in that game. It's the Nebraska one that sort of stands out almost as an outlier. Does it seem like an outlier, or do you see a trend within all three of those games? Well, I guess that's tough to say. I mean, I think that's that's something that maybe we get a little bit of a better idea about, both with Purdue and then Northwestern on the road and Michigan at home next week. Again, there are certainly the concerns about defense. You know, that, that's absolutely on the table. Um, I think there's a – there's got to be a very real concern at this point just about this team's depth. And and when you say lack of development, I think you can kind of trigger a, an argument with NIU's fan base. Sorry, I'm, I'm – if anybody here is ruffling, I'm getting ready to go to a press conference myself. Um, you trigger an argument with NIU's fan base about whether that's some sort of failure of the – roster or the coaching staff or whether that's because so many of these guys have been so injured this season that they just haven't been able to just, I mean, get the necessary time on task together to really develop again beyond having, you know, knowing you have two pretty elite Big Ten players in, uh, in, in Romeo Langford, Juwan Morgan, but one way or the other, I think you can almost sort of take Maryland and Nebraska a little bit together. Um, because Indiana was up, Indiana was actually up 14 in the first half of the Maryland game and then just kind of sort of lost its way, never really found it again. Um, the game's close at the end. That's largely because Romeo Langford kind of goes on a, a scoring tear in the last five or seven minutes that keeps Indiana closer than the game really felt in real time. And then there's the Nebraska game where Indiana starts slow falls way behind down 25-7 early in the or about midway through the first half of that game and then gets it back to within I think three points and then just completely fades um, and I think the, the concern if you're looking at just actual infrastructural stuff I think the biggest concern is that this seems like a team that both was going to be able to play uh, was going to be able to win with its defense first and foremost and also understood that it was going to be able to win with its defense first and foremost. And all of a sudden, you feel like maybe that's not what's happening. And, again, some of that's probably young guys who need a little bit of – who need to do a little bit of growing up. Um, some of it also really is the injuries. Um, and just Indiana feeling – this was supposed to be an Indiana team that was very long and athletic and had a lot of interchangeable parts – at kind of like a two, three, four spot, so you could go big and guard that way. You could go small and guard that way. They've lost a lot of that. You know, Jerome Hunter's out for the year. Race mm-hmm. Thompson's been out with a concussion for a long time now, and there's there's no real sign of his return. 
Zach McRoberts is playing with a, a back problem that I think it's more or less acknowledged he's just going to try and fight through the rest of the year. Rob Finnessy's missed time with a concussion. Devontae Green's missed time with a thigh problem. Al Durham keeps coming in and out of games because he's just so banged up that he takes a shot and then he has to go out and then, uh, you know, he comes back the next game, but he maybe isn't 100%. When you just sort of add it all up, you've just got a team that is really struggling all of a sudden to kind of overcome a lot of its weaknesses. And I think that is is maybe therefore becoming a little bit too over-reliant on those two really good players at the top of the roster. Looking more at this specific matchup, you know, Purdue has recently had Trevin Williams really come out of not nowhere, but, but certainly maybe be ahead of schedule in emerging as a, a, a true, you know, big-bodied post guy, something that they were really lacking in the first portion of the season. And Matt Harms and Evan Boudreaux were supposed to bring kind of an unconventional look to that and make teams adjust. But now Purdue has, has found this, you know, conventional true center in, in a lot of ways, a guy who can score on the in the low post and and, and defend there and, and is, is is big on the boards through you know, he's averaging twelve over the last three games. What can Indiana do right now to sort of counter uh, a presence like that? How do you think that potentially changes this matchup? Yeah, I mean it, I don't want to sound just sort of doom and gloom on Indiana. I don't think the sky is falling on Indiana's season, but it really is a, a, a it's kind of reached a point now where you, you do sort of wonder, you feel like you're reaching for solutions a little bit from the outside. Um, and obviously Archie Miller's not going to share all of his tactical insights with us and all of his plans and so forth. Um, but, you know, one of the things, again, that Indiana was supposed to have a lot of this season was size inside. And I don't think Indiana expected to be a dominant rebounding team, a dominant rim-protecting team, but I think what Indiana did expect was to be able to hold its own against teams that could present a legitimate front-court threat. Um, and now all of a sudden you're in this situation where Deron Davis is also not really playing because he's got an ankle problem. He, he, he got his ankle rolled up on against Illinois, and he's been trying to get back from that, but it just isn't anywhere near 100% right now. And so you've got Juwan Morgan, who's a really good individual defender, but the problem is Juwan Morgan has to walk this tightrope because if he gets into foul trouble, Indiana's really got nobody that can go in behind him and have anywhere near the same impact at either end of the floor. I think you saw Maryland really exploit that. And I know Bruno Fernando is, is you know, a, a particularly difficult matchup for anybody. But Indiana had a lot of success early in that game within the framework of its defense, doubling Fernando really hard, letting Morgan guard him straight up, and then bringing Justin Smith on a double team. Then Smith gets into foul trouble, and all of a sudden Fernando goes off because Juwan Morgan, A, can't – you know, do it all himself guarding a guy like Bruno Fernando, and B, he can't afford to get into foul trouble and take away such an obvious offensive option for Indiana at the other end of the floor. But Indiana didn't have anybody to replace Justin Smith in that double, and all of a sudden it was one-on-one, and Bruno Fernando got to basically take the game back for Maryland, put Maryland in in, uh, in control, and, and wind up being the major reason, I think, why Maryland won that game. And um, again, I know that Bruno Fernando is one of the better players in the league, so you can't just say, well, it's going to be a problem against everybody. But you are kind of increasingly in that position, especially down low and on the boards if you're Indiana, where you say you want to be able to be tough inside, in, inside defensively. But if you're doing that at the expense of Juwan Morgan's foul concerns, then you're going to lose one of your best players. If you were telling Juwan Morgan to be really careful and not get into foul trouble, then you're going to you're risking winding up in a situation where 
basically teams are going to start exploiting that, really attacking the rim, really attacking inside, and they can work back outside. Nebraska only hit eight threes on Monday night, but they made them count. They hit them at key times, and all of a sudden, a defense that was one of the best in the country, you know, top 20, top 25 in efficiency, if you look at Kim Pomeroy's numbers through the first couple months of the season, you know, just just kind of keeps getting picked apart in ways that we haven't seen since early last season. Um, and increasingly, and I hate to keep going back to the injuries, I don't think it's an excuse, but it's just it is a reality for Indiana. Increasingly, Indiana's in a position where, Archie Miller is very limited in terms of options to change it up because he just doesn't have the bodies on the bench. So obviously Nebraska seemed like they had some success throwing a zone at Indiana on um, the other night in that win. And as people who listen to this podcast and are Purdue fans probably know, Matt Painter would rather walk to Bloomington and back, I think, than ever play a minute of zone defense. <laughs> yeah. I wonder just how – does that something that potentially plays into – Indiana's favor here that that that's not an option Purdue can throw at them from a, defensively to either to even change things up or to to you know to use to to exploit them so well as, as Nebraska did. I do think that, that teams would probably be a little bit better zoning Indiana offensively because for as much as I just talked about the concerns defensively, the reality is at the offensive end of the floor you have one of the elite forwards in the league in Juwan Morgan, uh, you know, a player who I forget exactly what his average is right now, but a player who over the last year and a half, <clears throat> excuse me, has one of been one of the most consistent offensive players around the rim and down low on the block in the conference. Um, and then you've got Romeo Langford who really, I mean, look, this is a, a fine margins debate, but he really might be the best around the rim finisher in the country, or at least one of them. Um, and if you're going to guard those two guys straight up, okay, you can double a little bit in the post and you can try to hedge on ball screens and things like that, and you'll have some success. But you're talking about, you know, a guy who's an all-Big Ten performer in Juwan Morgan and a guy who's a lottery pick, uh, a, a, I think it's probably fair to assume a future lottery pick in Romeo Langford. You can't – you're not going to be able to guard those guys straight up, man-to-man, all game, and just stop them completely, shut them down. Now, you can – make them inefficient, and I think increasingly what you can also, quite frankly, do is almost just kind of let those two have their points, recognizing, I mean, look, the other night against Nebraska, they scored 35 points between them, and Indiana scores 16 points across the rest of its roster, so increasingly you can also just sort of say, listen, make them as inefficient as possible, recognize that they're going to get some points, they're going to draw some fouls, they're going to make some baskets, but as long as we don't let them combine for 60 we can probably limit these other guys and give ourselves a good chance. Um, but defending those two man-to-man straight up is, is very difficult. And I think what what Nebraska's zone really did, it was a 1-3-1, and it was a weird 1-3-1 because Nebraska put Glenn Watson, their point guard, uh, down at the bottom of the zone. He was the, mm-hmm. he was the one under the basket. So it kind of took away – in a way, you had a size mismatch inside, but it was hard to really – capitalize on that because Nebraska had long wings and guards that it could play on either side of the three that would prevent post feeds and would allow Nebraska to very quickly double if the ball got down into the post. Indiana's not a terrible, it's not as bad of a three-point shooting team as it was last year, but it's not a great one by any means. So Indiana couldn't really shoot effectively over top the Nebraska zone. And then obviously anytime you play a zone, whatever it is, but certainly a 1-3-1, you're going to give a guy like Romeo Langford who wants to drive get into traffic, you know, drive around people, create contact and finish around the rim, you're going to give them trouble. So I would be 
very surprised if we don't see more teams trying to zone Indiana. I also know that some teams just don't play zone. Archie Miller is the same way Matt Painter is. Archie Miller runs a, a man-to-man pack line defense, and that's never going to change. Um, it's just it's what he does. It's what he believes in. But I, I would be really surprised if we don't see more teams zone this IU team this season because I think it is something where when you've got two players that are as good as Morgan and Langford, but two players in Morgan and Langford that want to be around the rim so much, you're going to have trouble if you don't. Um, you're going to give them trouble if you clog the lane. Before we go, I wanted to ask you about Rob Finnessy. You mentioned Indiana's injury situation before, and he was one of those guys. He missed three games with a concussion. Uh, that's a guy that, you know, Purdue was in on recruiting him. He's a local guy from here in Tippecanoe County, played at McCutcheon. Uh, where is he right now, and, and how much of a factor can he be on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, he's back. Um, and he's playing, and he's playing off the bench, I think, right now as much just because of conditioning because, you know, obviously when you have a concussion, you can't do anything. Um, you know, if you have, like, a sprained wrist or something, you can still do a lot of, you know, just sort of physical conditioning that will keep you in um, keep you in good shape. But he basically missed about three, three-and-a-half weeks where he could do almost no physical activity. So he hasn't been in practice. He hasn't been working out and all those different kinds of things. So he's been – easing back into it on the bench. Um, but I would say it's, to my mind anyway, especially if, if Al Durham continues to just kind of be banged up all the time, I think it's only a matter of time before you see Rob Finnessy starting again. Um, he's really been, frankly, you know, when I say he's the revelation of the season for Indiana, um, we all kind of knew what Juwan Morgan and Romeo Langford were. You know, you, you weren't surprised right. to see both of those guys excelling. Um, but Finnessy got thrust into the starting lineup when Devontae Green had an injury in the preseason that held him out of a lot of Indiana's first five or six games and just looked so poised, so comfortable running the offense. I think a lot better defensively than I would have expected for a player of his age, but really good in man-to-man defense. Um, and, and mostly just, I mean, what you need from a point guard. And he's not a scorer, and he doesn't try to be a scorer. He doesn't force things. He doesn't make a lot of bad decisions. But he also understands how to really sort of command an offense and keep an offense ticking over and, and, and run an offense where he's got – he knows where his bread's going to be buttered in terms of who's going to be doing the scoring, who needs the ball, and so forth. And I think that, that Indiana badly missed Robert Finnessy. Again, maybe not so much. I mean, he missed the, the Michigan game. He was back for the Maryland game and then Rasky game off the bench. But I think where Indiana almost missed Finnessy more – is in practice because, you know, Indiana had this weird 12-day gap around Christmas and New Year's where it didn't play the game. You, if you're Rob Finnessy, you put together a great November and December. You built a lot of a reputation with your with your teammates. You know, you, you, know, you built a, a trust level and a chemistry with them. That was an ideal time in practice and behind the scenes when Indiana could focus more on itself for Archie Miller to really build that more and, and almost put more on Robert Finnessy and develop, again, in a more intensive kind of non-game you know game prep way, Rob Finnessy's role as kind of the floor general for this team. Instead, Rob Finnessy's out that entire time with a concussion. And that's not the only injury problem Indiana's had this season, but it is kind of a microcosm of it is that it just feels like this team can't sustain – momentum with a lot of individual players and it also can't really sustain growth as a team because guys just keep coming in and out and I think I'm not saying Indiana would have won you know all three of these games they've lost with Rob Tennessee if he'd been healthy through the whole holiday period 
but I do think Indiana would be a better offensive team if it could have used that almost two-week break to really build on what it got out of Rob Finnessy in the first couple months of the season because I think he has been really the surprise package for this team in terms of the way he runs the offense, the way he plays point guard, and just what he creates and opens up for his teammates. And Indiana cannot get him back to full strength fast enough, genuinely. Well, thanks a lot for joining us, Zach. I really appreciate your time. And be safe coming up here on Saturday. It sounds like it's going to be typical Indiana weekend winter. Yeah, yeah, that, that stuff never happens on a Thursday non-travel day. It always happens when, <laughs> uh, when we're all trying to go play, doesn't it? Absolutely. Well, that'll do it for this week's Boilers Extra. Thanks a lot for joining us, as always. If you haven't subscribed yet, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, Google Play, SoundCloud, I'm forgetting something in here. Uh, tune in radio. Um, we have this podcast all over the place. You can subscribe and it'll it'll come to you each week. You'll get a little notification. You don't have to look for us. And uh, we're not going to be posting the video anymore. I don't believe that you used to find on jconline.com. Um, I think it's all going to be just through these various podcatchers and other outlets. So that's where you should find us. And we, we'd love it if you would um, you know rate us. Send us any feedback, any any uh, questions, any any uh, complaints. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'd appreciate it. I'm at InBairedJC. Mike Carmen is at Carmen underscore JC. Zach Osterman is on Twitter, I assume. I don't have I think it may just be at Z Osterman or at Zach Osterman, but you can find him as well if you need to uh, bother him about any IU-related questions. So thanks for joining us, and we will be back next week.